Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss philosophy, faith, leadership, nonprofits, and a host of social issues. We want to add value and understanding the dignity and freedom of human beings. For more information, visit the website, philipfletcher.org. And now, the Humanity Matters Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Dr. Philip Fletcher. And this is the first of a two-part interview that I participated in with a, a college student, Drew Foote, as he wanted to interview me about what it is to be a black male in America. So take a moment, enjoy the next 30 minutes or so. I hope you learned something and we will pick it up after a word from our sponsor. All right, it is, uh, let's see, it's Thursday, March 12th, it's 2.17, and uh, my name is Drew Foote, and I'm interviewing Dr. Phil Fletcher um, for a multicultural counseling school assignment. Uh, The goal today is to uh, increase my awareness of the experience of the black ethnicity and to gain um, insight that will be useful for me when working with black men and women in the future as a counselor. Cool. All right, so first question, what's some frustrating experiences you've personally had in the past because of your ethnicity? And then, go ahead, then we'll start there. All right, so I think the first is this, and I've been very clear about it. I have a recoil, a, a, a negative reaction when I hear the term minority. All right? Okay. So... I understand as far as population uh, that in America, uh, black Americans make up about 13, 14% of the population. Okay. Okay. Uh, So in that terms, I can understand that we are the minority in number. But in case of contribution uh, Mm. to the political, socioeconomic, religious atmosphere of America, I would make the argument that we are not a minority, but a uh, equivalent contributor uh, to the American culture. Uh, I think if you look at different ethnic groups, whether they're Caucasian, Blacks, uh, those with Asian descent, Latino, Mexicans, Hispanic descent, mm-hmm. so on and so forth, everybody is making some type of contribution uh, to America, but specifically regarding uh, black Americans, um, I think that can be frustrating because it presents a, a very double-sided message that we want such persons to be considered equal and full participants, okay. yet when you look at things like we're in election season, right? Mm-hmm. So it's we watch the news, and this is whatever news channel you watch, okay. all right? So I'm, I'm being... Uh, um, inclusive. T- very inclusive, right, exactly. Uh, they'll say voters, right? Mm-hmm. Percentage of voters is voting for this candidate, percentage of voters is voting for this candidate. But then they'll do a breakdown and they'll say black voters, Hispanic voters. You don't see anybody else. Those yeah. are not the only groups voting in, in America. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason... Uh, those groups have been uh, 
categorized as minority voting bloc, those type of terms. Um, We have the same concerns like anybody else does, right? Um, Now, those concerns obviously going to be filtered through a different lens, but I'm sure we'll get into this. But even within uh, black America, Mm -hmm. uh, we are not a monolithic group. Mm -hmm. And I think people, and, and I think when one group looks at another group, right, we have a tendency to think that the, the, every group thinks the same, yeah. acts the same, yeah. so on and so forth, when if you do the empirical work, you would actually figure, you would see that there's more nuance than what we talk about, but it's easier to talk in categories yeah. to group people together. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's my one frustration. Uh, two, I remember moving to Arkansas. Uh, so we've been living here for 13 years now. 13 years, April. Where'd you move before? Uh, I was in the military, Fort Irwin, mm-hmm. California. is my last duty station. I was okay. a combat officer. Okay. Um, so I moved here, and I remember meeting some people after some time and really getting involved in the community and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people started to understand my resume, right? You know, education level, military background, family mm-hmm. background. And people say, you know what? You're a different black guy than what I'm used to. <laughs> How'd you take and that? then I would be, and I would say, "Well, what do you think is a normal black guy, right?" Normal. Normal, right? Because the the implied thing is I'm the exception to some type of rule mm-hmm. that this person, multiple people that I've met here in the South, would say similar things. And I and I know if I if I were you know were a betting man, I could probably throw some dice uh, and more than likely come up with a winning, winning role as to what they thought a normal For sure. black person was, probably because of what they've seen on TV or, yeah. or music um, or how it's reported in the news. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is pretty frustrating. So I flip it and, you know, I tell people for myself and for my family, we are the rule, not the exception. Mm-hmm. So I, I take people's uh, stereotypes and I try to flip it. Yeah. on them yeah. and, and let them know actually who I am mm-hmm. is actually statistically in America more the norm than what is seen in whatever medium or, or inter- even a personal interaction that you may have had. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that's the second one. And then the third is, uh, it's probably more of an in-house thing. Okay. Uh, there is this tendency to be a crabs in a barrel type thing. Crab in a barrel? So, uh, you know, when some one tries to move up, when a crab tries to move up, other crabs try to pull them back down into oh, the group. Okay. okay. Um, so there could be a tendency to when you quote unquote make it, whatever that means, mm-hmm. right? I think it's different for everybody. Uh, some can look with, some would say jealousy. Uh, some would say, or envy, some more appropriate words. Some would look at it with a little bit of discouragement and say, oh, shoot, you ain't nothing because you did that. You ain't because yeah. you got the education. I'm like, hey, don't hate, right? Yeah. The same opportunities are, f- are available to all of us. You know, I've got to, we, we've got different resources available, but the mm-hmm. opportunity, though, yeah. um, is still there. Uh, you're just for a host of reasons, making a choice as to whether or not to take it. So, yeah. 
you know, for other people, the second part of your question, um, I mean, I've seen different things, interactions with police, um, in some cases how black males are treated. Uh, frustrating is uh, how black females are typically categorized as being weak and or angry all the time, uh, especially single mothers who have to be both mother and father and have to provide for the house and have to do all the things that are required in a home for their child or multiple children. Yeah. Uh, when in fact, if you sat down and talked to those women, uh, you would understand there is a strength there. Mm-hmm. And if you were in that circumstance, I wonder how you would how you would negotiate those circumstances so that you could be quote unquote successful or make it to the next level in life. So I'm not sitting there. Okay, cool. Keep going. But that's it. Yeah, that was yeah. It. yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. You said some things, and I know we could get into them and talk all day on some of the things that you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, next question would be uh, for the purpose of numbers, right? We'll, we'll, con- well, if you how do you how would you like me to refer to the, the black ethnicity? It's black Americans. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So uh, how have you seen majority groups specifically, I guess, we'll say yeah. white Americans, mm-hmm. um, try to help black, the black population, black Americans, but actually end up hurting Hurting? Hurting, <laughs> being unhealthy. <laughs> These are unsensitive questions? I think it's a great question. So, <laughs> man, so we, we are in this period uh, of what many would call it like wokeness, right? <laughs> So there was a study done by a uh, mathematician, and he's atheist, right? Yeah. Uh, so the study piqued my interest. So I read his research and listened to a presentation he did, and he compared wokeness to a religion, mm-hmm. and it had many of the same elements. So if you're looking at it from a Christian religion standpoint, uh, wokeness would be like born again. You believe now, right, that yeah. some prophet came along, you know, and gave you a message about, you know, the man is oppressing you and uh, they're colonizers or they're using white supremacy in order to keep this certain group down. Right. And then you come to this realization and you're woke. Right. And so as a woke person, now you're an evangelist. Right. You're going out, spreading the message, you're writing books. You want to go to school, get a degree, gender studies, transgender studies, okay. black studies. You know, I got a degree in African American history, but that was before it became popular. Um, so you become like an evangelist for it. So you write books or you go yeah. on speaking or you become like a community activist and you try to rally these persons that have experienced this victimhood, right? And share with them the message so they can be born again or woke. And that's, that includes black Americans, white Americans. White, yes, exactly, right. So Man, woman. Man, woman, yes. So you got your, you've got your, God bless them, love y'all to death. So you've got your, your, my white brothers and sisters who get woke, they get this information, right? So they gotta, gotta zeal without knowledge. Like if you line it up, with like Christianity, it's crazy, right? So you've got these new converts that want to go out and they say, oh my gosh, in the urban areas, there is these black kids and 
they come home from school and they can't get inside their houses. And so they're out on the streets and then they're hungry and they have no fathers because, you know, they're black kids. And, you know, black kids, most of them come with no fathers. And you're like, well, how did they get there? Because you need a mom and a dad to make a child. But anyways, so um, so, you know, we got to do something. Yeah, we got to go down there and we got to rescue these poor black people, right? Now, that's reinforced. Uh, caveat, uh, side note, I was watching a, um, I was in the gym the other day, and on the TV came a commercial from a nonprofit. It was talking about uh, poverty, right? And it was a black woman, and it was a, her black child. So you got a single mom and her child. She opens the refrigerator, there's nothing in there except some spoiled milk. So she takes the milk out, poison the glass, puts some water in it, shakes it up, and gives it to the child, right? And, it's, and it says no family should be hungry, right? But the image that it's putting up, right, and it's continually reinforced that the face of poverty are black people, right? But if we're the minority, in raw numbers, the face of poverty is actually Caucasians yeah. or white people, yeah. brothers and sisters, Right? Uh, but got it in terms of percentage now, because we're a lower percentage, we've got more people on uh, uh, welfare type programs. Sure. Percentage wise, it may be black, but in raw numbers, if you think in terms of raw numbers, it's uh, white brothers and sisters, but everybody always uses a percentage. Mm. Right? Yeah. So that just reinforces, going back now, um, this idea of, well, we need to do something because. They don't have the skills, the resources, the family structure, so on and so forth to do these things. But when you actually go down into these communities, Drew, what you see is this. You see, in the work that I do, um, kids, for instance, coming home from school, all right, there's somebody home, right? Whether it's a mom, because she's worked all day, she's now home, right? Or she's home and she's going to work after the kid gets there, right? or coming home to an aunt, or an uncle, or a grandparent. So there's a, a grandfather, there's a male influence there, sure. okay? Um, those kids as well, they gotta get their homework done. So a lot of times you see kids come home off the bus, they'll come to our community center or they'll go to their house, you won't see them for a minute, an hour has gone by and then they start coming out in the streets, right? They're doing their homework. Mm-hmm. So the reinforcement is there to get their work done, they've got uh, some type of parental involvement there as well. Um, They are eating pretty well, all right? Facts, they are eating pretty well, facts, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, There's a whole, there's whole questions about like what creates those images inside of the media. Yeah, yeah, so we'll get into that. That's probably a whole nother episode. Um, So, for my white brothers and sisters, I say this, pause for a second, okay? okay? This is not your, let me go on a mission trip to Africa, let me rescue the swollen belly black kids, right? Mm-hmm. Who are in these poor desperate situations uh, and take great pictures with them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Then let's blast it up on our stuff. The fact of the matter is here in America, uh, the majority of uh, black children, they face some issues. I'm not diminishing that at all. But it's not the way it's made to be. 
and they don't need rescuing, having a, a by some white savior, white heroine type comp with a complex in order to satisfy their religious needs, right? Uh, but instead, what they need is people just to be friends, people to come alongside and just get to know them, spend time with them, develop a relationship with them like anybody else. They're not projects. And I think that's the other thing for uh, that's harmful uh, that my white brothers and sisters, they can look at um, black men and women and children in America as projects instead as people. We're not projects mm-hmm. to be solved, puzzles yeah. to be arranged into whatever you want it to be. Yeah. We have dreams and hopes and desires just like anybody else. So I would say take a pause, listen, yeah. and in doing so, you'll actually do more good than harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really great lead into the next question, which yeah. is, now I want to talk about, perce- the next couple questions are about perceptions. Okay. So it's going to be a several different this, that, this, that. So the mm-hmm. first one was, what do you see your common perceptions that black men and women have of white men and women? Yeah, so... Man, that depends. So I have lived, I grew up in Kentucky, then moved to California, grew up there for uh, 17 years, um, then seven years in the military, and then live here, right? For 13 years. Now. Yeah, yeah. So I've got different, even black Americans like from Kentucky are different than their black Americans' views in California in the South, and even in the military, right? Yeah. So everybody's got different perceptions. Absolutely. Yeah, because a lot has to do with the culture. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Kentucky, Louisville area, it's kind of, it's not the South per se, but it's a border state. Um, you know, California's the West Coast. Like, West Coast is like, everybody's welcome. You know, let's eat tacos, you know, now smoke some weed, get drinks, go to the beach, yeah, hang out, you know? At the same time, you know, if you go like to L.A., you've got your areas that are like, you know, South, South L.A., Compton is majority black. You go to East L.A., it's majority Hispanic. Uh, you know, North Hollywood is majority, you know, it's white. Yeah. You know, the entertainment area. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, West L.A., white too. Um, and then you've got, you know, Asian district as well. So you've got your segregation. Sure. Um, and so people kind of like, hold together, right? But then when people want to cross over and get, you know, a different flavor, uh, you know, that's okay. Here in the South, I have sensed a little bit more tension between blacks and whites. And I know it's something that has, you know, culture in the South and, and all the things that have come with that, with civil, you know, slavery, civil war, segregation, reconstruction, segregation, so on and so forth, the civil rights movement. And so there's always, you know, you've got all this history here, right? You know, on the West Coast, you don't see Confederate monuments. You don't see a uh, Confederate flag or anything like that. Here in the South, I mean, I can go down to County Courthouse and see a, a obelisk to the Confederate Sons of America right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I can go over to Pine Street and see a museum, you know, for the only all-black high school at that time here in Conway High, right? Yeah. 
So those seeds are like always there, right? And they, you know, they get passed on. And so uh, you'll have your moments when uh, people have opinions about other white people, you know? And that's largely based off of probably some personal experience or some experience they've had at the high school or at the mm-hmm. school, right? Yeah. Or the way their kids are being, they feel as if their kids are being treated unfairly in the education system or in the legal system uh, or in the judicial system. And I've always said, you can never diminish somebody's experience. That's their experience, right? This rational person experienced this and that's what they walked away with. Yeah. There's some truth in that. Yeah. And you should acknowledge that and not just be like, dismiss it whole cloth, right? Um, and so uh, it, it changes, you know, regionally. It changes based off of relationships. Like I know, you know, here, you know, some uh, couples, black and white, that are married, been married for years, and they rocking it strong. You know, I've talked to them. They say, yeah, it's a little difficult, but, you know, we manage, right? Uh, and, you know, it is what it is. So I think it just depends, you yeah. know, and there's no one-size-fits-all answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. You know, I can go to one of the colleges right now, and, you know, it's like a love fest between ethnicities. You know, it's, yeah. okay. I can go to some of these churches. It's a love fest. I'm like, oh, okay. And there's some <laughs> other ones. You can be like, yeah, why don't you talk about that yeah. issue, you know? Yeah. White pastor, you got some black congregants. Yeah. And you may got five in there, but why don't you talk about that? You don't want to upset the majority in here? Yeah. yeah. Those five congregants is as much as part of your congregation as those 95, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that can create some tension as well because, again, that's a not acknowledging my experience as a black American. It just asks me, oh, just, we're just Christians, right? Mm-hmm. God doesn't see color. Well, heck, if God didn't see color, why do we all got different colors? That's true. <laughs> right? So. That's, true. That's so true. Yeah, so those are my thoughts on that. Uh, do you want to comment on, and you kind of covered some of this, do you want to comment on perceptions of, you know, so, we, so the first question was perceptions of black men and women onto white men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, you don't have to, but do you want to make any comments on the other way around, white of black, yeah, also black of black, and white of white. Yeah, I think, I mean, I really can't, you know, I'm not white, obviously. Sure. Uh, the conversations I've had, they're typically the same, you know, um, you know, you live in America, why make excuses, why keep bringing up slavery, you know, yeah. y'all really talking about reparations, you know, I don't, I don't hold to reparations, but, you know, it's those kind of kind of comments, yeah. you know. Um, well, it's, it, I think it's, it's important to know because it's important to know how, like, how does a black man or woman perceive how a white man or woman mm-hmm. perceives them. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, you know, sometimes there's others, it's, like I said, it can be a little paternalistic, That's right? We need to, yeah, yeah, we need to do something for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I think they're doing fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, they don't need their shoes tied, but there are so you know. For instance, um, I always have a concern with uh, groups that are majority white, or 
and you know have white brothers and sisters leadership who want to do like mentorship type things to a predominantly black audience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And my concern is, have you done the homework yeah. about their experience yeah. and what they need to be mentored towards? Everybody's a mentor. I'm not dis- I'm not diminishing that, sure. and I'm not saying that. A white person can't mentor a black person like a black person can't mentor a white person. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is when you're seeking to reach a broad, uh, a a general group of people that has diversity within it, have you understood the issue, some of the issues that they're facing, right? Second thing is this. If you're seeking to mentor them in those issues, right, will you speak on their behalf publicly when some national issue happens. So for instance, when, uh, you know, uh, if you're not familiar, when uh, Philando Castile was shot by the cops, when uh, Tamir Rice was shot by the cops, when, uh, you know, those events happen, right? So you wanna mentor these young black males in that, and they're having these frustrations. Will you stand up publicly and do that as well, risking the the pushback you may receive from your white brothers and sisters in your group, right? And so black black males and black females can look at whites and be like, so I see right through you. You're not genuinely concerned about me. Again, I am a project because you're just looking at me as something to solve or do. You're not actually genuinely concerned about my welfare, and part of that is being a voice with me. Notice I said don't be a voice for me, but being a voice with me in that difficulty. So I think uh, uh, white Americans should take stock in that kind of stuff. I'm not saying don't get involved. What I'm saying is do some uh, measurement of your own heart and do you understand the situation and the people that you're trying to help. Yeah, because it sounds like, too, um, that you're, that just as much as the people who are maybe oppressive are silencing, mm-hmm. you know, a black, a black American mm-hmm. voice, mm-hmm. someone who's trying to speak for them is also silencing their voice by not letting them There it is. So. There it is. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let me see here. I'm going to ask that question. Also, probably about two to three minutes. Mm-hmm. Probably gonna head out, but I'll, before we go, I would like because I have some really, really important questions. Mm-hmm. If you'd be willing, maybe to meet on Saturday again to finish it, or Sunday. Maybe Sunday. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see here. I think I want to end. I think the question we'll end on today is, um, what are parts? This is kind of a totally different direction, but what are parts of black culture that you think are totally overlooked by other... Oh, gosh. Man, so, you know, Black History Month, right? Let me tell you something. Let me speak into your mic. Okay. So, (laughs) black culture did not start in 1619. Okay. So, Black culture for Americans did not start in 1619. That's when the first slaves hit America. Okay. Okay? We didn't go all the way back to Africa. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where you have uh, a history of engineering, science, mathematics, 
especially in Egypt, uh, hunting patterns, religious practices, uh, cultural developments, uh, the use of the wheel, so on and so forth, are not actually being used in other aspects of the world. Okay? Those things need to be celebrated. What I'm saying is, our culture is more than, and it's not ex- defined by a moment of, in time which lasted essentially 400 years. Yeah. Okay? Um, how many hundreds of years was before? Exactly. And what's came, what has come after, after. that? Right. Um, was that period of time of slavery from you know, 1619 to uh, about 1865, right? Was that a tough time? Yes, totally, right? But if we look at from emancipation forward to 2020, all that has been accomplished in terms of inventors, in terms of the development of uh, his- history, uh, Carter G. Woodson was the first person to develop uh, African-American history or black history. You look at W.E.B. Du Bois was one of the premier sociologists of the uh, early 1900s. Okay. Uh, You look at men like Frederick Douglass. Now we're going backwards. Frederick Douglass, who is one of the most famous abolitionists uh, of our time. Uh, You look at Booker T. Washington, who was a a late contemporary of W.E.B. Du Bois, who really pushed for economic power among blacks, whereas W.E.B. Du Bois for political power uh, among blacks. You connect that to the civil rights movement. That's what they chose to yeah. exercise political power. Um, whereas you look at other groups, Asians, Jews, uh, Latinos, they've more chosen economic power, right, to advance themselves. Nonetheless, um, so you've got music, right? You know, where does rock come from? Rock comes from the foundations of black music, right? Coming out of slavery, coming at post-slavery uh, period in the use of, of music coming out of the church and mixing that with the, the musical norms of that time, right? Yeah. We look at the use of jazz and blues, black art forms, once again. Uh, jazz would be our modern-day rapid hip-hop. Jazz at that time was the rapid hip hop, right? And now you look at rapid hip hop, it is, I remember growing up, don't listen to that. What are they saying, right? It's violent, right? It's all this. But now look, worldwide phenomenon. You got like white presidential candidates up there doing TikToks with Jadakiss and like (laughs) drop and things like that. Like, where did that go, right? Yeah, 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 like dominating um, all types of industry, you know, in sports and in everything. Now you've got Jay Z, you know, running the Super Bowl. You've got uh, you know Kanye West doing his thing. You've got uh, Kendrick Lamar and Chance the Rapper. Chance the Rapper just redefined what it is to do music on Spotify and so on and so forth. You've got Oprah. You know, you've got Michael Jordan who owns a basketball team, and you've got young black boys and girls going to charter schools, graduating with high grades and going to college to do amazing things. Men and women who are standing on the shoulders of their parents coming out of the civil rights movement, 
um, and are taking it, have taken advantage of those opportunities to get education, to, you know, run for office, to become bankers or whatever. And, you know, they're rocking it. So to bring it full circle back to your first question, um, we ain't minorities. We, we are full contributors uh, to this American situation. Do we have issues? Yeah. Everybody got issues. Yeah. question is what we're going to do. And if you're going to come do something, then do it with us, not for us. That's so good, dude. Uh, the question I want to pick up on the next one yeah. is just to kind of, I wish we had time to talk about it today, but where that leads me to is, okay, so... Thank you for listening to the Humanity Matters podcast. For more information, visit the website philipfletcher.org or send us an email at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, as always, if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. So be love, be kind, and be generous. Thank you.